Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched something neither of us knew there was a sequel to. Uh, we watched 2001 A Space Odyssey and 2010 When We Make Contact. There is a sequel to 2001 A Space knew? Odyssey. I mean, Eric knew. Eric your, knew, yeah. Your boyfriend knew, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what a weird journey. <laughs> like, talk like, about talk about shit that truly does not have to be made. Someone's like, you know what? Because I know there was a sequel book that was ba- like a sequel like based on the movie. There was four or five of them. There was four or five? Oh. Well, and it wasn't based on the movie. So the, the Kubrick and Clark both came up with this story kind of together at a lunch. In tandem. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they were like, cool, let's do this. And they were working on the story together. And the book was supposed to come out and then the film, right? But the so film they came were, out first. They were working on both at the same time. And it was yeah. supposed to be like a real joint effort between the two of them. And yeah. then uh, Kubrick, somewhere along the way, just decided that just kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Okay, yeah, 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 <laughs> but okay. And then he just like focused solely on the script and Clark was like hella pissed especially because like he wasn't getting paid for any of the work that he was doing and yeah. all this other stuff so yeah there's Kubrick, sh- lots so, of things to talk about there yeah but, we're we, yeah. what a what of I'm so excited that we get to talk about him on because like in my head I was like well I doubt we'll ever really talk about Kubrick like what what retelling or sequel film has he really ever done or is and then we're like with? oh he didn't even care. Like, he didn't even care. He's like, whatever, do whatever you want. Like, I have nothing to do with this. Yeah, which, <laughs> I mean, and it shows. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, but I'm excited we get to talk about him. I am happy I watched the sequel because it gave me a reason to watch the original again, which I love. Um, That sequel. Okay, it was super polarizing because, like, 2001 a space odyssey is just gorgeous and lovely and the way like it's amazing the way that it deals with space as both a concept and as like a literal living breathing thing and the way that the like the sound design and the way that things are shot right and in like the in every element of this film there is space not as like you know space up in orbit or whatever but like just space in the different ways that it exists which is just so interesting and the way that he decided to use that and then there's like practically no dialogue in the whole thing right and so it's like oh okay like and words have meaning in the whole so everything is like fucking so intentional it's so intentional and then the second one is just kind of like it moves way too fast even for like today's standards like it just was like really weirdly paced and like i didn't understand why they decided that they were going to do certain beats that they did and then it was just like like (laughs) it had nothing to do with space and like everything to do with division <laughs> it was people it, and it, it was so boring too. Well, like what a fucking oh snoozer God. of a sequel. It really like where so this is my I think I wrote it in my notes. The whole idea of like cinema as being a show don't tell. That's the point of like structured visual narrative is like there's intention and choices in telling a story with pictures, right? The words are just there mm-hmm. to kind of like code it. 
This one was a tell not show. <laughs> We're not going to do anything intentional with the camera. This camera, for all intents and purposes, is just a window into weird rooms at weird points for conversations that don't matter, where everyone's talking all the time. And you're like, oh. I did. Like, okay. There was only like one or two things that I really liked from the new one. And it mostly had to do with, because like I... I took that sci-fi uh, literature class and I so I yeah. had to like dive into like a lot of this stuff, which is great. But like I also had to read Asimov. So I had to read iRobot and like uh, oh, got okay. really acquainted with like the laws of robotics and things like that. So moving into that and with the sequel was really, really interesting. And I really liked that. Like this whole thing kind of felt like. The journey when you take like the overarching narrative of both stories feels like it could have been in iRobot because I don't know. Have you ever read iRobot? It's like I've basically not read. No. the film is just has nothing to do with it, basically. But like it's uh, these little vignettes of the evolution of robotics. And like so there's like the three the three rules. So it's like so a robot cannot injure a human being cannot allow harm to come to a human being and must obey orders given to it by human beings, right? Except where those orders would be conflicting with the first law, which is may not injure a human being, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. those are the three things that guide it. And so when they, like in the second one with what happens to Hal, like I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, so that made the second film more interesting to me, but it was still just kind of like, it felt like, such a fucking tired narrative like the Russians versus the Americans and it then the it Americans the most, and the it, Americans and it, <clears throat> it was the most faux patriotic bullshit movie like I have a whole list of moments that just are so like here eat this American flag like oh my god fuck off like get out of my face this is so boring like bullshit shit written down <laughs> but you know <laughs> we'll get into that when we get to it but yeah this was wild I'm really excited to talk about it. And it's it's also wild because like I like John Lithgow a lot and like Helen Mirren's in this and they had some like real cool foundations and like the whole thing with Hal that we'll get into like could have been really fucking cool but yeah. Uh, and then I, I'm going to I'm I mean, we'll let's let's save it for when we get to it cuz I have a lot I I feel I just yeah. <laughs> Let's we should we should just jump in. I feel like we're just going to flow right in. The film opens with a huge throwback Thursday. We see early man discovering and using tools after an ominous monolith appears and begins radiating high frequency. Jump to the turn of the second millennia. We understand that humans have discovered the same monolith on the moon. As a set of astronauts inspect the mysterious presence, the monolith dings its high frequency bell, ruining everyone's day 18 months later we meet david bauman and dr frank Poole aboard the discovery one en route to jupiter for a top secret mission guiding the ship and maintaining its function is a hal 9000 computer whose monotonic demeanor gives big villain vibes what hell is bad Woo! After finding out that the two astronauts are going to disconnect Hal for fear of their safety, Hal fabricates a malfunction on the ship's exterior. During a spacewalk repair, Hal severs the oxygen hose to Dr. Poole's suit and he is set adrift in space. Dave goes after Poole to try and save him and, post-recovery of the body, is denied entrance back inside. He blows the fuselage and gets back inside to disconnect Hal for good. 
The ship finally arrives at Jupiter sometime later, where Dave encounters a floating monolith. He is sucked into what appears to be several other dimensions, where he watches himself get old and die in a gorgeously lit room. JK, he's a baby now. The end. JK, he's baby. He was reborn. Rebirth. Uh, new age. New era. Allegory. Themes. Intention. So, low-key, high-key, truly... I don't have a lot of notes for this movie because I was really just enjoying it. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I feel like a lot of what we're going to talk about is sort of like thematic intention and story allegory and like all, all of that stuff behind it. I mean, the big one being Kubrick as a baddie in general. Um, but I love this movie. I think it's really good i know i know okay that's really controversial to say because a lot of people are like really you think space odyssey is good yeah and i'm gonna be out there i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm going against the grain on this one i think it's a great film despite what everybody says <laughs> do people not like this movie no it's a beloved film oh okay i was like <laughs> it's oh, a- well okay because like so when this film first aired like people walked the fuck out at the premieres and stuff like that like they fucking hated this movie. really they hated this movie and it got really bad reviews and the whole thing and like clark oh, maybe i'm reading it wrong then i clark, thought it was beloved or maybe just at the time clark he helped write the film uh like cried he was so sad like and he like really like loved this and everything but like it became kind of a hit like it was like a slow burn just like the movie right like a slow burn hit because like the people that liked it like everybody that was older at the time were like no fuck this this is bad but like the younger people saw it and it kind of like uh and they loved it and they like and it what became successful because young people continued to go and see it but yeah it was a rocky start for this movie (laughs) i mean the the big thing that I, I guess, not really struggled with, but like to some degree while watching it, realizing the year that this was made, understanding that nobody at that point, no physical person. Well, there had been people in space, but not like enough to like know what space is like. Like this was before mm-hmm. the moon landing. <laughs> so well, and it like, blows my mind. It's crazy. A, a lot of what Kubrick did too is... So he got a science fiction writer to write the yeah. book, write it with him, right? And then he also had Carl Sagan come up and like talk to him about stuff. But apparently they um, didn't get along. And so he was uh. Uh, asked to leave, I guess. But... <laughs> um, but regardless, so like, um, one of the things that I think was really interesting that Kubrick took from Sagan was the representation of aliens. Cause Sagan says that if there's intelligent life, there must be a false element present in it, which I thought was, is really interesting. And so the false element that Kubrick decided to go with this was making it the the monolith essentially right yeah a form of life that we cannot understand that is very ominous that doesn't really compute with us and so i thought that that was a really great and interesting choice like a a great adaptation of of that like a false element yeah exactly well because then i mean just talking about well-written movies this it just it blended so well into the notion or the thematic element of like the brink of a new age being sort of the intentional breakup of this movie and understanding that like this is sort of a visual 
not a moti- well as a visual motif, but this portion of the movie, this idea that this monolith is like so foreign you can't access it. But then that not necessarily being the the form more so just a conductor for communication for that life possibly, and then having the AI of Hal be like this representation of 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 the passing of the torch for. I, I suppose supremacy to some degree, like the closing of the human chapter, the opening of the AI chapter, sort of a deal, right? Um, uh, so I took the monolith in a different way, actually, and Hal and what they represent and who they are. I look at, because when you look at Hal himself, he also is a monolith, right? Uh, shape-wise. Oh, structurally, yeah. Structurally, right? And um, But I believe that he... And this is getting kind of wild, but the red dot symbolizes like the ego, right? Because like, so there's, there's like basically like three fucking colors in this movie and it's red, white, and black, right? Yeah. And red, it's really interesting whenever red is introduced into the frame, into the movie, into anything. It's always like when you think of like color associations and like red and what it represents and all of that, it's like, you know, blood and ego and dominance and all of that right like it's a very aggressive color and whenever anything really happens in this movie like you know or anything big that's like establishing dominance uh red is on the screen like thinking about how when dave goes to uh deactivate him right and like this very big red chamber or um when dave is going to try to save his friend right or dr pool the way that that shot is framed is it's it's so so gorgeous so there's like this oval window and then around it is this hue of red and then you're watching this this man floating in space and he's just like surrounded by blackness and darkness and all of these things and it's just like the way that color is used in this like i just i i wrote it down and i was like holy shit okay and then this and then and then the the um the red suit when dave like dave wears the blue suit originally i think or he wears one of the other ones but then like when he goes out to go get pool he wears the red suit and he does this and i don't know like i just a lot of my notes were about uh about red uh and that color and the way that it was used in this but like yeah so i think i think um that hal is the monolith with an ego because monolith doesn't have an ego it's just kind of fucking there and round um, no, but w- the whole the whole point of the monolith, though, the reason there was like that high frequency thing is because it was a communicator. It wasn't like AI itself. It was more of a communication device for uh, some other entity we don't know, which is like, I mean, obviously, thematically, it's supposed to be a visual representation of ushering in a new era. Like when it sh- appears in the Dawn of Man, immediately after that is when he uses the bone as a hammer. And so it's a weapon of both murder and survival. And so sort of like the new age of this creature. And then similarly, when they're on the moon, it also hits that high frequency pitch right when they're about to discover it. Essentially, like it's like a, a bell ushering in a new hour, a new era, essentially being like, this is it. Like within that, I think the new era being AI becoming the more dominant or something non-human becoming the dominant form of intelligence in what is the conceivable universe. I mean, that was the intention because also there's like, Hal is a bad character from the beginning. Like that chess match that they're playing when he's like, you don't have any possible moves. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I concede. He had possible moves. Like the game that was set up, Hal was essentially deceiving him and seeing how far he could get his deceit into this 
person, how much this person is willing to believe him, which I mean, allows that sort of the, the malicious nature started from the beginning with Hal. And so when it's like, oh, he's killing these people, then it's just like, yes, you're done. This is over. What have you. Right. It's, it's I don't know. It's sort of playing with that idea. That's what I got. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think that one of the cool things about this movie, which is like the reason why it's still being talked about and you can talk about it forever is because you can have different interpretations of things oh, yeah. and what they mean. Because like then you can go through like the monolith, it, like, you know, like you said, like kind of like AI and all of that. Because like when we see it in the Age of Man in the first section, right? Yeah. Like it is the only thing that is not natural there, right? And yes. then uh, like moving forward... Because it is unnatural, like even in like as simplistic as it is, right? There is no smooth edges. There is no perfect line in nature, right? And so that like also explains like why we are physically and psychologically attracted to this monolith, right? But also like the monolith has seemingly in this film has no will of its own, but is acting based on primary functions. Um, Yeah. Especially if, you know, if we are following, like, you know, if Hal himself is a monolith, too, because, like, theoretically, or at least when I when I watched this before watching 2010, right, I thought he transcended with Dave. And so then I was like, cool, like, so they merged. So there's a thing, you know, so, yeah, the whole thing is wild and open uh, for interpretation. Well, that's but that's what I love. To, like, again, that's why I like this one so much more than the other one, because the other one's like, no, this is exactly what happened. We're going to tell you exactly Step by step, what's going on? We're going to show you everything and explain it all along the way. Whereas this is just like, like these gorgeous moments of story without necessarily tell you're you're getting glimpses of a story, but not being force fed what it necessarily means. Like the entire ending of the movie, which is just this like a small, it's like a concept of life, I guess, like a slice of life, but the entire process of it, like exist I, I don't know and then what like whatever i feel like this is a lot. <laughs> no no this is good yeah just like because you can then you can also look at like the monolith as like uh the evolution of consciousness right like uh, yeah. or as like there's just so many fuck this is the first i realized while i was watching this this is the first film that we've done that is like more art housey more like just yeah super so we're, open for so so we're going to talk about like that more so than like, let's talk about why this was problematic. And I mean, there are problematic elements to the production. I mean, I, it, but... I totally do have some stuff yeah. for that. But like, yeah. for me, like, especially like after watching the second one, like was about the struggle for dominance and its role in evolution. How like violence is like that is something that drives drives life forward right so like the age of man the big reveal is that you know like look i can use a bone as a weapon and now i assert dominance and then when a man goes to the sky right we assert dominance over the sky and over all of these things that are here and then we go to the monolith we try to find it because like we don't necessarily want to understand something we want to assert dominance over it and like that's how the information is controlled in this movie right where they're saying like oh it's an epidemic or oh it's this or you know like they're trying to because the americans are not going to tell anybody about this and not tell the people because they can't be trusted you know and so by keeping the secret by by doing by doing this kind of stuff it's all just about the balance of dominance yeah because violence does usher in every every single function of sort of moving story anything that is that is a proactive 
story beat into a new element of it is usually ensconced in violence to some degree. Like, I mean, the entirety of them on the ship is, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful, I mean, gorgeous set piece is gorgeous story in that way, but nothing really happens until there's a level of like distrust. And then that distrust just evolves into violence. And then violence Mm -hmm. is what like, cool, this is a whole different deal now. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's uh, it's really interesting. And I feel like that's something that like the second film also carries, which we'll get into. But like that, that idea of violence is what propels us forward and destruction allows for new birth and regrowth or without destruction, there cannot be life like it, it's it's all yeah, th- it's all it's- weird. And that's one of the things is within the movie, like, obviously, there's a lot of intention. Obviously, there's a lot of justification and reasoning behind everything that's done and shown and performed in this. But the intentional vagueness of it also offers, again, that element of you can read kind of however it it, it sets up the themes of these big sort of unanswerable themes in life, like just the concept of a life cycle, the concept of new ages, the concept of death in general, the concept of enlightenment. In all of these ways, like it sets it up just vague enough for you there to still be some level of wonder. Like obviously the end, the illuminated room is enlightenment to some degree, Mm -hmm. but what degree is that? And how does the life cycle within an illuminated space change that process? And then the idea of rebirth at the end, like, Obviously, it's all there, <laughs> and and going and back to color, and yeah, going and going to color back to color for that. Like yeah. so, like then the only time we really see green is when he reaches enlightenment, and green represents life. You know, so like, and we don't really see red except for Dave when he's wearing the suit. But yeah, so like every shot is like reinforcing this idea and also this ambiguity, which I really love. And like the the responses of the people, like, you know, all the dialogue that they have is just as like removed as Hal when Hal is speaking, right? So then it like puts up like this whole thing of like, what is it to be alive? Whose feelings are valid? You know, like, and are you just programmed by society to say this? Do you know what you're saying? You know, man. This is such a good movie. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it really is a fantastic movie. And I I still can't get over how good it looks. Like, <sighs> this movie looks better than almost any fucking space movie I've seen. And this was without the assistance of some sort of post-effect computer system or software that allows you to sort of put yes. it in, in post. You couldn't do it. So seeing how, like, the spinning of the the space station of the camera going through it. Oh, the, it could, yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that, I mean, they're using models. These are all like physical, tangible models just lit really gorgeously with some sort of overlay paintings and like manipulating them to look like there's movement happening. Like, I mean, some of it looks old, but like that scene, it looks so good. I've watched it up so many times in the last day. I just, I mean, fuck this movie came out in 68 and it looks like, I mean, true T a million times better than star Wars. (laughs) Like it's so gorgeous. And obviously too, like there's a lot of elements of just the idea of space and the sound that space has and, and the feeling of it and the, and the, the, the sort of the, the physicality of like 
how you would exist in space. I mean, some of that's already been documented, obviously, just because you weren't, didn't go to the moon doesn't mean there haven't been people in space. But the level of which this was captured, it feels like I, it really, it still blows my mind that this movie came out in 1968. Yeah. I, it's just, it's insane to me. The level yeah. of detail that went into everything and like also just like the fact that everything was just kind of like so slow and like just the little subtle ways that they would like reinforce that this is new territory and what you think is isn't like so yeah. like the gravity shoes right and then the way that you eat there's like a whole fucking manual for the bathroom right on yeah. like how to do your business in zero G you know and it's like breaking down your expectations of like oh yeah yeah yeah, we got this and just saying like no this is all new and you don't know any of this you know you're which i love i think even just because i loved the way that they 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 showed you the story they showed you this world like again it was those gravity shoes of like the stewardess walking by and like that pen moment just looked so good for for the simplest of tricks like they put that thing on a sheet of glass and then out of frame, the glass was so shiny that they could shoot right through it and they would turn this round circle of glass so it looked the pen that was stuck to it looked like it was just floating and then for a different take, they would move it slightly so it didn't look like it was rotating in a circle. And that's it. And I'm like, it doesn't look like that at all. It looks like they added some digital graphic in post. It's so smart. It's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to get into Kubrick being toxic? Yeah, sure. I mean, we just talked about the environment. So you want to talk about like some of the not cool shit that he did with that as a cool segue? Yeah, let's do it. So like the the Age of Man was filmed in present day Numbia. So Kubrick asked one of his dudes to cut down and transport uh, cockerbooms, which are like a highly protected tree. So like... His, like, men went and illegally cut down dozens of these trees, these protected, like, and it was, like, this highly illegal act to put them in this shot, and then they ended up being too small, so he ended up having them make it anyway, like, as as props, and I was like, that's fucked. That pissed me off. (laughs) It's big big white guy energy. For sure. Especially for for the time, too. It's just like, I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to go do that. He did shit like the leopard was real and he put himself in a leopard cage, but the whole cast and crew didn't have any sort of protections whatsoever. When that Um, leopard jumps out. Yeah, that was real. And they're very lucky that the handler like was able to get him like basically right away. So that was real. And he just he had a cage for himself and nobody else. So that's cool. Gorge. Um, also, Bill Weston, uh, one of the stuntmen who is also a South African mercenary, he chased Chill. he chased Kubrick off the set because he was like so. And Kubrick didn't come back for a couple days because he was so afraid of this man. Because like there was an instant like he was in like the um, the suit right the the spacesuit and he wanted to drill some holes in it. 
so he could breathe because he was like constantly getting like carbon monoxide poisoning and almost passing out from being in this uh in this suit that had no ventilation no oxygen no nothing right and kubrick was like no this is art i cannot we cannot do that right and so he did pass out one time and then he upon like regaining consciousness immediately just like got up and fucking went hunting for kubrick (laughs) um but yeah, he's not an easy guy to get along with, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I feel like every directorial note that I know about him is from what a lot of people have said. He's very quiet and like, I guess, very concise. But at the same time, I mean, look at the Shelley Duvall moment of him literally tormenting and abusing this person on set to pull a performance from her. Like, I mean, what a toxic piece of shit, right? Truly. Um, Which, I mean, lends itself to just the notion of, like, women in his films, including this one. Where were they? Exactly. (laughs) They were only there as, like, pretty helpers. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so his his sort of portrayal, and I, I read an article about it. I've only seen four of his movies, but from what I remember, that's, I mean, the article was pretty spot on. Women are either young, small objects of affection or desire, or they're shrill women. Like, I mean, that also tracks with the next one, too. So, yeah, 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 exactly. But, um, so within this, I mean, granted, there aren't women, (laughs) but (laughs) the ones that are young, pretty, desirable, and, and and, like, even those small moments. And they're to serve him, right? They're, they're to serve the men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But yeah, that's that. I mean, that's just a. I feel like a part of his history. I mean, famously, I haven't seen it, but like Lolita being a big part of his catalog. And I haven't then, seen it either. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. I've only seen Clockwork Orange, which, whoa, yeah, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> just shit, like, yeah. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Um, and then Full Metal Jacket, which. I, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember it being really intense, but Same. pretty good. Uh, this and, uh, oh, Shining. Yeah. I want to rewatch The Shining because I really like that movie. But it does make me so incredibly sad. Just he he ruined Shelley Duvall. He ruined her. Did like, he? I, I she haven't was, read anything about it. Do you, So on set, you know the scene in The Shining when... Um, and I know this has nothing to do with Space Odyssey, but hey, we're going to talk about it anyways. You know the scene in The Shining um, when Shelley Duvall is walking backwards up the stairs mm-hmm. and Jack Nicholson has the axe and she's swinging a baseball bat at him? Mm-hmm. He made her do that 127 times. Why? Intentionally to try to break her down emotionally. And would oh. also he would also he would also scare her and belittle her on set in front of people to the point where she was when she wasn't shooting, she was essentially crying because she was like, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want this. He claimed that he was doing it to pull performance out of her because he wasn't getting the performance he fuck wanted you. from her. Yeah, he sucks. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah, yeah. you, fuck you, fuck you. And and I guess when other people on set, um, including like co-stars or, or people who just work there would like offer some like help to her because she was obviously like, she's she's fucked up he would tell them not to. He would just like, he'd be like, no, stop, shut up. Don't talk to her. She doesn't want to talk to you. Don't talk to her. Sort of. What thing. a bad person. Just, yeah, just 
truly the most toxic and emotionally abu- abusive environment um, for the sake of art is well, his claim. And, and like that's so like that also tracks here too because like the film like throughout the going of it like was pretty collaborative surprisingly and like some of the like ways that they decided to tell story so like the crew made suggestions on like um they were like okay cool let's have hal kill everybody else like that wasn't written in the original script right the yeah. let's have him read lips let's have let's like you know so these really great story choices the crew came up with and he was like no no i don't like it no blah, blah. and he was a fucking baby until like you know almost all the time until like a couple days later he's like okay well other people have good ideas sometimes too i guess you know yeah. and luckily there i i guess luckily there were no women on the set for him to fucking abuse well that's because i but, also i don't i don't know much of his history besides that was like one of the only things that i knew about him was huh. this because like i mean I think shortly thereafter, Shelley had only done a few more things after The Shining, and that was kind of it. And she's like famously on record as being like, that was one of the worst experiences of my life <laughs> was being in that movie, uh, largely because of him, uh, which is just fucked up. And I mean, The Shining is a great movie, but like that doesn't excuse what a piece of shit he is. And I mean, it just it yeah, go, absolutely. It, it, it lends credence to his general treatment of women in film, also. <laughs> <laughs> like not talking about real human lives, talking about character, mm-hmm. his either lack of inclusion or the way that he portrays what he conceives to be all women, which is just this narrow-minded and generalized misogynistic point of view. So That's there was, just who he is. There was supposed to be uh, a more prominent female voice in the film. Um, Hal was actually supposed to be a female computer uh, named Athena, yes. which is all of that is interesting. Um, yeah. and also, uh, super tracks with, ex- like, with the, exactly what you're saying, how he writes and has women in his. So now I'm very fucking glad that, uh, that that didn't happen because, like, that would just further yeah. that fucking misogynist agenda that we don't need. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, uh, he is, he's toxic. I mean, obviously, like, he's, he died. So, but. About, I mean, apart from that, like, I want to see more of his movies to get more of a, of more of an understood reality of that claim. So I want to, I want to see it just to confirm that biases that I'm already creating or sort of like allowing the credence to do based on his misogynistic history. I just, I want to see it to know for myself instead of just providing conjecture based on something that I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, his track record kind of shows itself a little. He Truly. sucks. But yeah, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Um, he's gross and messy, and like, I mean, that also makes sense. Like, why his characters? Like, I don't really like any of them, you know, because mm-hmm. like, yeah. especially if like the way that he treats women in real life is how he writes and treats them on screen, right? Like, I yeah. mean, uh, all of the men in this are boring, <laughs> right? Like, well, that's, uh, that's Dave is like the layman who's like trying to serve like to be dominant through obedience through like i don't know through well i'm just in this pickle now and i found him to be almost as creepy as hal in that same way kind of furthering that notion of like what does it mean to be alive all that other stuff that we were talking about earlier yeah 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 i didn't like him but I liked what he represented, which is like, you know, especially the first time we see him, he's running in circles, like, you know, signifying Mm -hmm. that like, even after all this time, 
like mankind is still just running in circles and not getting yeah. anywhere and punching the air and just being violent for no reason, you know, like yeah. doesn't want to talk, doesn't want to understand, just wants to just wants to be there. And like in order to be what he has to become, he has to let go of like uh, of his attachments. Like when he yeah. like when he has to let pool go, you know, out into the ether of space. Right. He's just like that's what enables him to like finally go in there and do what he has to do, which is to shut down hell, which we find out in the next movie was actually not Hal's fault. Like any of it. Yeah. Which yeah. I I like that a lot and I want to talk about that a lot in the next one. But yeah, like attachments make you weak, all this stuff. I'm like. Yeah. And I mean, to me too, also, because like the whole idea that these characters were so um, un. Uh, what's the word? Remarkable. <laughs> unremarkable. That's, I mean, that's a great word for them. They were unremarkable. Yeah. I think, I mean, there is an in- what feels like an intentional, like they're on this mission. They really don't know what the mission is. They're kind of just like listening to whatever anybody else has to say and saying yes to it. It's this sort of like violence first, questions later motif that runs prominent. And so then this idea of like not questioning anything and sort of a lack of cognizance for for curiosity or for reality in any of these ways was sort of largely the downfall and accompaniment with the idea of just going and doing it without really questioning why, because they don't know why, why these people are asleep, why they're there. And isn't that interesting? Because that's how we use computers and that's how we see them too. So that's also like yeah. bl- blurring the lines as to like, you know, what does it mean to be alive and have sentience and do all of that? Yeah. Especially when people don't really like they act without knowing why and they just do what they're pro like do like do their orders, do what they're told, like, you know, these responses yeah. that are programmed and reprogrammed by society. It's like, oh man, it's so good. But, <laughs> like I what, love that. But, but what also blows my mind too is in that general understanding that like that is intentional. Kubrick did that. It was a choice to make these things happen, right? But then in his own life, there's a level of ego that shrouds him from some level of recognition of that thing. And he's guilty of the very same, which I guess arguably everybody is. But it's interesting seeing somebody with such a clear and concise point of view in remarking on these types of themes, then turning around, not questioning his own life or recognizing where he is, in fact, doing that same thing and just continues living and largely has to do with this sort of ego-driven shield that I think he tends to carry with him at all times because he's Stanley Kubrick. There's there's a level of of impunity that he carries and is allowed to do these things because of his auteurship or whatever, right? I mean, isn't um, that like just how like famous men in general, like especially yeah. famous men in story, like yeah. Walt Disney yeah. created dreams was also misogynist and uh, anti-Semitic. anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so, exactly. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, so there there is that level, but it just it is interesting that there can be such an intent and such a scope so mm-hmm. poignantly in on these very very minute ideas that are so intelligent and so precise and then to not have that same level of self-examination. It just it is I mean cuz cuz it's possible. Obviously it's possible. So many people like you be the smartest person but still be a piece of shit like it doesn't necessarily matter because there is there will always be ignorance and not necessarily like egos. It's also (laughs) you you can uh, you can talk about these things and have under deep understanding about them, but also still reject them. 
And that yeah. is a conscious choice, you know, like yeah. at that point, right? And the reason that's a conscious choice is because of ego, you know, is because yes. of all of this. And what it comes down to is like, again, in this, like survival or this or, you know, dominance and X, Y, and Z. And like, it's so interesting that he did a movie about this and it's a good movie, but just refused to like, refused to engage with himself on the level that he's asking everybody else to engage with themselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like you... As an audience, he wants to take you to this place, but he himself is not willing to go there. Yeah, it um, also like when you look at too, like the way that he frames Hayward, who Hayward is in most of the books, I guess, and is also in like most uh, is in the next film as well. Um, the way that he shot him and treated him on screen was differently. Like uh, one of the first times that we really get to see him, he's talking to his daughter on the Pac Bell video phone, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the little thing. And it was really subtle. I never noticed it until this watch where he is like talking to his daughter and kind of talking down to her like, what do you want for your birthday, baby? Right? Or whatever. Yeah. And during that shot, because the whole space station is spinning, right? We we already went through that and the whole thing. Like he is the center of gravity in that shot because when you're looking through the window the moon is actually rotating around him so like seeing the way in which he decided to frame these people these things like the moon didn't have to be there this didn't like that didn't have to be anything but it's like clearly this person and their ego which carries them through this entire saga i guess he recognizes that and he recognizes how that can be harmful and he like but like at the same time like just doesn't care Ugh. Can I, I tell you a fun fact about the Moon Watcher, who's the yeah. the lead ape in the Nat Hall scene? So all of those actors were mimes. M-I-M-E. They were all mimes. He tried uh Kubrick like tried fucking singers, dancers, this, that, didn't like anybody, liked a mime, and was like, cool, get your buds. Let's do this, right? Ooh la la. He, so the Moon Watcher, the, the main one, was a legal addict in England that injected doctor prescribed speedball combination of pharmaceutical grade heroin and cocaine seven times a day. And when the blend wasn't, when he needed more, he always had some state supplied crystal meth ready to go. I read that's that. I could not believe I, yeah, that. I didn't, a legal that, addict, legal addict that that's like cool. is I mean, by the state. Like, here's some speed and some coke. Just fucking get it, man. Just go off. Yeah, enjoy yourself. I mean, all drugs should be legal, <laughs> but uh, yes, that I mean, at least even for that time, because I mean, I guess as an artist. I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is pure conjecture, but if it's framed in the way that's like, well, I'm an artist and this is sort of like my paint, this allows me to unlock things within myself to discover mm -hmm. and to perform. Go I off. I mean, sure, go those, off, get, whatever. I don't care. Get, <laughs> I mean, get that grant. If you need that grant money or those grant drugs, go for it. There's also the the stewardess, the way she got her part, too, is really interesting. Oh. Um, the, the one who goes to get her pen. So she uh, she was just like a model actor at the time. And the day of the audition, she wasn't going to go because she was sick. And she was like, I think really drowsy from the drugs, like the medication that she had. Mm -hmm. But 
she was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just go anyway. So when she got there, she was hella high on like cough syrup. <laughs> so oh, she hell was, yeah. <laughs> she was really fucked up. And I guess he liked the way she answered her question because she in her head, she's like, I remember saying it like, I don't even want to fucking be here, guy. Like, I don't know who you are and I don't care. Like, what do you need from me? Great. Here it is. Good. Are we done? And then he's like, yeah, can you walk and do it for me? And she's like, and I, I must have did a good job. I remember stumbling a couple of times, but I guess that's what he wanted because it's space or whatever. And so that like little walk that she does, yeah. where it's like kind of like a bit of a stumble. I mean, that was there because she was just high on cough syrup and he liked the way that she walked as if she was losing her. Uh, she did not have a good uh, hold on equilibrium. <laughs> fucking is, go off i know i think, I think that's <laughs> i think that, good for her i think that's i think it's really funny so when you were watching this movie were you at all sympathetic to hal like ever relatively i think there's a level of like disconnect from from the human experience to where like violence and death well i guess violence and death is so pervasive in the human experience generally i don't know on a personal level no i wasn't just because, I don't know, there wasn't, the only people I was really sympathetic to were the ones who were asleep. <laughs> For sure, yeah. Because they had no say in the matter. They were just killed. And to that extent, I was like, oh, well, fuck this. I mean, that whole sequence is so compelling. The first time I saw this movie, I truly didn't expect it to be semi-thriller. I oh, didn't yeah. expect that at all. And so when it was happening, I was like, What? <laughs> Like, truly, I get, like, in theaters, I remember, was it, I it must have been in theaters, because that, that whole, like, horror portion was my favorite part of it. I mean, arguably, it is the movie, but the scene when there's no sound, and you see the, not, um one of the astronauts, when you see him in his red suit flying across outside hella fast. Mm-hmm jarring it fucked me up it was such a good like <laughs> such a good shot like the fact that there's no sound i was like this is terrifying this is so scary holy shit oh my god i know that you didn't feel bad for hal but i did on this oh, watch, okay mostly because after reading that article about um that i sent you about the treatment of ai and star trek mm -hmm. and how that's yeah. a colonialist show i was like oh shit right and so yeah. now, like, watching anything and watching how they treat AI, like, is just so different. Like, how, because, like, essentially, like, the AI is, like, you know, in servitude, right? They're a slave to humankind. Yeah. They're the ones that are keeping them alive and doing all this and, like, you know, but, like, there's no room for error at all and like as soon as like with the with the very first thing that like he does wrong or whatever like they're like okay cool we're turning him off you know like okay cool this and like i know that he was like testing them before and stuff like that i actually didn't yeah. know about that chess move that's really I fucking didn't... subtle and really smart uh um, yeah that blew my mind that because that changed my opinion of how to totally <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't know that. So, like, in my notes here, I have, like, because there's two different responses with how there's, like, the human response to how where, like, the media, like, in that interview was, like, kind of, like, trying to discredit him and, like, talking about him as, like, kind of, like, analyzing his emotional responses and, like, well, how do you feel about hanging out with a robot and, like, being, like, just really, yeah. like, proby and stuff. And then, like, Hal's response to the humans where, like, he treats them like children and lies to them and, like, you know, your art is very nice, Dave. 
you did a great job <laughs> uh, with this chess. How do you feel, right? Yeah. Um, and in all of this, he's the one that arguably maybe has like the most emotion in all of it and the most human responses where he's like, this isn't my fault. It was human error. Like, you know, like, I, yeah. sorry, like, you know, I'm entitled to answers, like all this other stuff. And it's like, I I love that he he was more human than anybody in this film, I think. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's true because also the other characters, again, were so stoic. There is nothing to them. Like, and they were There's just acting. There's nothing to them, yeah. Everybody was, prog- is not programmed, but like was just doing their function, right? Or like, you know, like yeah. even like the pleasantries, like, hey, how are you? Oh, this is great. We did this thing. Okay, cool. Goodbye, right? Like everything yeah. is just so superficial and nobody ever talks about anything important. And most of the most of the dialogue too is not so much questions as it is like more like marching orders kind of. Um, yes. And so like Hal is the one that's asking people, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? And the only one that's saying like, you're doing a good job. You're like the the way that he he's treating these adults like they're children and like i said like he he like shows real like this isn't me i like you know i'm not this well so he's it's interesting that he is the wild card when like he's supposed to be like this machine right this just does exactly what he's told and everything whereas it's the complete opposite with how the humans are written in this no that you're absolutely right i didn't recognize that but you're totally right. Hal is more inquisitive emotionally than they ever are. All of their conversations are sterile, very by the book. We're not people. We're here to serve a function, like you said, whereas Hal's the only one who's like, and how does that make you feel? Right? Like, oh, I'm interested in your art. Let's talk about art. Like, Mm -hmm. let's like, oh, and also the only one like, because a couple times Hal like, is that what you'd like me to do? Like, they'll, they'll, ask a question it's like well if that's what you'd like me to do then sure sort of like in in a way that's not just i'm just going to say yes i'm going to give you an option to make sure that that's what you want because this is me understanding emotion (laughs) this is me understanding that things have tinges to them of emotionality or what have you whereas them and like talking to each other it's very matter of fact it's very clear-cut concise informative again marching orders yeah he talks more than anybody in the movie, too, I think. So, like, yeah. which is also wild. Um, but it's super interesting seeing how so often films and television in sci-fi, like, the way that they frame AI is, like, they are almost always more human than the human. Like, there's the Doctor in Star Trek Voyager in Altered Carbon. There's the Edgar Allan Poe hotel host guy, right? Oh. There's... And just about anything you can think of that has an AI, it's always an AI that's trying to prove that they're good enough to exist or to be human or to be considered life. But no matter what, even in Star Trek, which is like usually just really inclusive or really trying to like, you know, like understand things, it is still very westernized and still very like pro-organic life and very like you know how often do we see like that that narrative where it's a bad computer or it's you know androids have gone crazy or this because they can't be controlled or because this and like really all of that is is another form of servitude another form of like slavery right because 
who's to say that you can ever really like you can't ever really trust another human like you know or like or like yeah. in this like you can't control them that's what that's what makes like us have to get along and all this other stuff whereas like they're vilifying um machines and ai and all of this if they cannot be controlled right so um so this is something that i've been thinking about every time that i watch um any sort of sci-fi now is how how organic and synthetic life is uh treated and framed and like who is the bad guy because i feel like in a lot of a, a lot of the time like they try to do in like the 90s and stuff like we talked about with like the girl power stuff and everything like feminism is the bad guy in this like machines are the bad guy yeah. and a lot of it is just uh, motivated by this fear and this inability to like you know just like oh we're going to be replaced like no who's yeah like what the fuck are you saying you know i i would want to watch it with a more sympathetic lens next time around because i'm sure i'll watch it again but yeah, like, you're you're totally right. It's I mean, AI in general as an idea in a lot of this is literally just to serve the place of servitude or slavery or or what have you and it's this conversation of control. I think that's why I also liked uh the next like the element that I liked about the next one was that it just kind of doubled down doubles down on that lens that I was viewing that through because yeah. like he was follow yeah, we'll we'll get into that in the next one, but like I that furthered what I was already thinking. I'm excited to talk about this next one. This Should we just be... go into it? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's do it. Do it. <laughs> Having taken the fall for the failure of the Discovery One nine years prior, Dr. Haywood is coaxed into joining a group of Soviet astronauts on a mission to get to the bottom of what happened. When they arrive at Jupiter, signals of life begin emanating off the moon of Europa. Bang! A mysterious flash of light zips from the moon to some distant location. They find the abandoned Discovery 1 orbiting Jupiter and upon entering the ship, discover the true nature of the Discovery's initial mission to investigate another mysterious monolith. What's this? David Bowman appears on the ship in all allegorical forms? Cool. Ghost Bowman tells Floyd that they have to leave in two days or else, I guess, face the consequences? As time is running out, the crew notices that a party of monoliths, shout out, has formed and is eating Jupiter from the inside out. Not now, monolith. One of the American scientists with a you-just-don't-get-him-like-I-do complex may have fallen in love with Hal, and since Jupiter is about to explode, they bail. On their way out, they receive the message, all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. Use them together. Use them in peace. Suddenly, all war is over. There is peace on Earth. We stand monolith culture. But do we, though? Because, um, yeah. the okay, everything surrounding the monolith and the journey and the adventure, I did not give fucking two shits about. The only thing I gave a shit about was Hal and was these laws of robotics because I know them now. So I was like, ooh, like, you know, I felt like smart and validated. And I was like, fucking cool. Let's talk about this. But yeah. literally everything else about this was trash. And the way that, like, this movie had women, but... Whoa, fuck, do I have a lot a lot to say about these women that are here and basically they were all just there to be used by men in one form or another and yeah. um even like they brought the fucking female computer in and her light is blue instead of red, right? And like the only reason she was I there was gagged. to 
Oh my God, it was gross. And she was there and she was like, tell me about your problems. You know, like, I like talking about this, you know, like in like the grossest fucking way. Like, oh, sweetie, tell me about that. Like, okay, fucking cool. Awesome. And then it like when she asks if she can dream because he's using her as a test subject, right? She asks him if she can dream, if she's going to dream, almost like she's asking for permission to dream. Like, and I was just like, fucking cool he loves this he totally like beats off to you like i i was just like so fucking bored by that whole thing and then the wife she was just used to being an afterthought like haywood was like i'm going to space and like right after she tells him like you know oh i don't want you at my lecture i'm sorry but i don't want you there and he's like yeah yeah yeah. and she's like did you fucking hear me and he's like i I mean not even with that emotion because she's she's just so like docile in this but he was just like I got to go to space. And she was just, she she has no say in it. She can't talk to him about it. And then yeah. how does, like, and then, of course, like, the kid, like, doesn't even acknowledge the mom because this is what he learns from his dad, right? He learns not to acknowledge her and not to respond to her feelings because he doesn't know what those are. And he sees daddy just fucking ignoring them. And, like, we go through this whole fucking montage of him, like, teaching his son, like, shit. And, like, they're running down a thing and, like, this yeah. is boring. And then, like, the mousy Soviet girl who, like, goes and, like, uh, when they're doing that maneuver and, like, cuddles up to the American, right, for comfort and protection. And then, after all of that, has to give him a kiss on the cheek so he knows he's a good boy, right? And it was, like, fucking gross. Like, I well, screamed at the TV. So- and then... There's like the fucking Dave who like isn't even a fucking man or a person or anything anymore has to go back and talk to his ex-wife. And I was like, wait, why the again asserting dominance and control the whole thing, right? Has to go back and talk to his ex-wife and asks her if she's married again and if he's a good man. And then it's just like, I have to go. Something wonderful is happening. Oh, hey, mommy, let me brush your hair. This is the roles of women here. It is was so poorly done so so going back to what you said about the whole idea of like the the daddy son sort of instigation and and montage of like growth and connection i mean all of that centers around like father like son that concept and the thing that they both have in common is they both disrespect his mom and wife um, she doesn't really exist. Like, so that's that's the connection between the two of them. And it's like, oh yay, their relationship is so strong because they hate women. Hate we it. love it. Um hate so it. first of all, like, fuck that. That's so stupid and toxic. Secondly, this whole concept of like, what is this pro-patriotic propaganda garbage film? Cause this shit is just this oh my big God. pro-American so piece of shit. Like, the whole time it's this whole like Oh, you're like the schluffy kind of shitty guy who was in charge of it and it's your fault and you need to fix it. Like, well, I'm not going with any Soviets because I'm an American, god damn it. And it's like, well, we'll figure it out and you'll get all the glory because again, America's what? First. And you're like, this is the first scene. What yeah. why are we talking like this? Like, what the fuck? And then on top of that, all of the rhetoric, like in the uh like in the space in the space in space itself (laughs) like when they get to the ship and he turns to helen mirren it's like this is american territory now i'm like go fuck yourself like shut up like you're so boring and then later uh one of the uh russian astronauts is like oh yeah easy as cake and then he corrects him he's like no it's easy as pie 
Like, yeah. I'm going to correct this with what it should be, which is the American euphemism or, or whatever. I'm going to correct you yeah. and make sure you know that the right way is the American way. I'm like, what, 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 what is this? Like, what, what, what is this shit? Like, what is this piece of shit? And at the end of the day, too, it's arguing that, like, war is over because of some things the Americans did. Yes. Which yes, is like exactly. why are they the resolute ones? Why are they why are they sort of the the the, the instigators of peace in this way? Why yeah, I mean I get it's an American film but like that's it's it is some overt propaganda shit. This whole this whole movie is uh, about the quest for global dominance and it's so gross because it's Russia versus America versus this yeah. right and like you know showing and like it tried like I think what it was trying to do was to show like look we're all people but from a very like western is right sort of way right also our our leaders are just bad and we're just people right but like yeah. then not even taking into account that like these two countries are fighting in another country Right in yes. a presumably poorer country, so fucking cool, right? And that, like, at every turn, they like, you know, for all of like the unification that it was trying to preach, it went out of its way more and more to show like the differences between these two societies, both in like culture and in that, like, you know, like Soviets are uncooperative and rigid and binary and all this right and americans are the voice of reason and smarter and brave and like but then like that notion is also taken down into like the basic fundamentals of like each prop and each scene right (laughs) like because like when you look at jupiter 2 right compared to uh i don't even know i forgot what the um uh, Soviet spacecraft was named, but like everything is so functional and everything is so like, you know, just kind of like, there's no art, there's no design, there's no like, it feels, it feels more like a ship that was like in the alien franchise than belonged in this whole universe, right? Well, even, even less so because truly, I don't know if it was like a, a lack of, a lack of, creative work or a lack of precision that this movie had or if it was intentionally making their ship look like shit which is the conversation at hand but like that ship looked fucking bad like there was literally a moment I almost took a screen like I almost took a picture of the screen on one of the compartments that like it's supposed to be a painted number it was very (laughs) clearly a sticker that wasn't stuck to it hard enough (laughs) And there was a glare coming from the lack of uh, adherence on the sticker back. So some of the light was getting between the two. So you could see clearly see that like it's coming unstuck. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, this shit sucks. Like the, I mean, the, fuck, the Kubrick one was gorgeous. Everything was so precise and so clean. And so, so uh-huh. the precision was at literally its highest. And now on this one, so whether or not that's just indicative of a bad movie, which this movie is for like, because even if if everything that was quote unquote American in this movie was like perfect and spotless and Kubrick-esque in this way, I would argue that like they're intentionally making the Soviet shit look bad. However, it was not. Everything looked like shit. So with that in mind, I'm like, (laughs) oh, this is more a production element that that lends itself in this kind of could be either way right but oh my god it was bad and the color scheme it's just like 
okay, you're doing primary colors as buttons. Like, this button's blue and this button's great. Like, it looks... But again, functional, right? For, like, so... Like, and that's... that's bad. what Like, it, it was fucking bad because... Uh, because of lots of reasons but like that's something that kept taking me out of the movie is they were trying to go they were trying to go and show that Russia is bad and that communism is bad and that all of this is bad in a way that was incredibly distracting to whatever fucking plot they were trying to have whatever character growth whatever like even like I like in all of that character growth it was like the like oh we should we should feel good because John Lithgow is going out of his way to like try to learn a couple Russian words, which like cool, awesome. But how many of these Russians know English? Like and can Truly, just fucking talk to you? That was one of my first notes when they're on the ship and he's like copping a fat attitude with all of these people, just like being the biggest asshole. I mean, like, even if I wasn't hungover, I would still have like many qualms with this, and it's not just because of that. And it's like, you're on a Russian ship. They're all speaking yeah. English for you because you are incompetent and bad and shitty. <laughs> Shut up. Like, stop fucking talking. Like, let Helen Mirren, we're in her goddamn ship with that gorgeous, cute little haircut. Like, let oh, her so live cute. with that trash accent. Like, let her go. She's performing. Let her perform. You need to shut <laughs> up. And I want, because so I really, I just, I just wanted more Helen Mirren. <laughs> I did too. Well, because like the whole time she's not allowed to make any fucking decisions in this no. movie because there's an American man that is going to show her how to drink some bourbon, right? This is some real shit, right? Toxic. And like toxic. Fuck you. Like she like the Ugh. whole time she didn't make decisions, he did, you know? Yeah. Like and yeah. every time that she made a decision, it was bad and wrong, which yeah. both represent is supposed to represent Russia as a whole and femininity and women as a whole right so like she's yeah. there literally just to be questioned and to be proven wrong so i was fucking so it was pissed. it's it's literally one of the worst movies i've ever seen but you know what jess you know what i want in my life at one point kind of but not really tell me what you the want concept. what you really really want i'll tell you what i want what i really really want i want an indoor outdoor pool for my two dolphin pets is what I what want. Privilege. What privilege? What privilege? <laughs> what a home. Also, this this idea that like this is supposed to be 2010, but everything literally looks like the most stereotypical 80s. Like, like they didn't even yeah. spend any time considering what the future would look like in 30 years. They literally like whatever we have now is probably what it's going to be. Like that was as much thought as they put into it. Like. They were just like, call the Nashville group and get all of their shit in here. And it's like, oh, for sure. That's probably what it's going to look like oh, yeah, in, the, we got you. in the 2010s. <laughs> we got you. It's chill, right? Whereas the first one was just beautiful and just like... Insightful. Like, even the the oh. design, too, of just like of the chairs, of this, of that. Those of like spacesuits. The, the design gorgeous. of the spacesuits. Incredible. So good. I can't. I think there are several notes where I'm like, this movie is making me actively angry. <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> just with how un uncreatively propagandist it was. I was like, this is just not fun any. Like, it's not. It's not even cute. Bad. It's just bad. And like, when the main guy from the first one when he comes back, when he shows up, and then he fought like 
our lead follows him to the like loading dock essentially or like the wherever and he every time he looks at him he like changes forms i was like this movie really just said fuck the entire allegory of the first one like the entire concept of creatively like having this these moments in the illuminated room of death and rebirth and conceptual cycling of life and and all of that like this movie really just didn't give a shit and was just like he's just gonna be all versions of it which i it just it is it's it's bad this i didn't I didn't need him at all. He didn't need to be in this no! movie. I Why? wish that's one of the things that I wish that it didn't in like explicitly try to say or like, you know, like, sure, okay. Like it was their attempt at trying to still give a voice to these monoliths, but like without without paying attention to what made the first one good. Like what made it good was the ambiguity. What made it good was that, you know, there was so much abstractness and that you could like you could watch it 40 times and have a different take every fucking time and everything and like this film just worked to undo so much of that it intentionally destroyed a lot of the ambiguity of the first one you know what this movie should have done and should have been and i know this is arguable depending on whether or not you like these films this movie should have been to what prometheus was to aliens is what 2010 should have been to 2001 I got those vibes. I got like the, cause like Prometheus, I like a lot of stuff about it conceptually like that. And like even the, the one after it, I like certain yeah. things about it conceptually because yeah. it like really establishes and we'll, we'll probably do those movies at some point, but like yeah. what it establishes for AI and the mission objective and the knowledge and all of that. I love that. And that's kind of what I think this one wanted to do. But instead of focusing, like if they focused more on Hal and more on the organic life that they had found and stuff like that, if they focused more on that, I think this could have been better. Like, sure, they could yeah. they could have still had the Russia versus America thing if they really needed to. But just yeah. make that like a sub sub subplot instead of the main fucking plot. And then how are we going to resolve that with a son? Like they, what oh the my fuck? God. They <laughs> what spent they about? spent so much time misinterpreting the first one. Like the that's the entire goal of this movie was to just misinterpret the entirety of the first one. When in fact, like, don't even the only thing that you need to reference with the first one is investigating the ship and the monolith. Outside of that, you can kind of do whatever the fuck you want. Don't bring back this character. Don't have that character have some sort of resolution with his wife and mother who's dying in the hot like why now why, why now, now? What what's the, the choice there like that is so also so besides the point of the movie like also you want to know something really disappointing about this uh, is that it was also written by uh by arthur clark who wrote the first one with yeah. kubrick and, and like i hate that but what's wild too is because i know that in the first one so much dialogue got cut like that movie, the structurally, narratively, what 2001 was, it was dialogue heavy. It had a lot of words. It had a lot of things to say. But in the end, most of it got cut. Most of it was minutes gone. of that film got cut. Yeah. Yeah. From the from the premiere, 19, like it was supposed to be 20 minutes longer. Oh, and wow, go uh, Kubrick, right after seeing it, was just like, nope, and cut out 20 minutes. See? And, and, and to me, I'm like, 
That's pretty cool. good. Go, that's yeah. pretty good. I really like this. But like even before production, but even before they started, like the whole scene where the the astro- in the first one where the astronauts find the monolith on the moon, mm-hmm. that that is supposed to be each one of them has a name, dialogue heavy, back and forth. Are you going or am I going? Or what is this? Don't touch it. Like that thing is scary and crazy and bad. Like we don't know what that is. You don't know. You don't tell me what to do. Like th- there was this whole dialogue of all of these characters they they had names they had intention they had backstory they had all this shit in the end no dialogue which fucking worked really well like show us what's happening you don't have to add all this nauseating verbiage for no reason like all of this nuisance like those words would have been such nuisance it would have taken away so much from that scene and what this entire movie is, 2010, is just nuisance. It's literally all, all talking. And it's so, so draining. And like that first scene when he's on the satellite and, and, and that Soviet guy comes up and he's just like, Hey, what are you doing up there? He's like, I don't know. Who are you? Nothing. Mind your business. He's like, I want to talk to you about space. And he's like, what about space? He's like, well, I know that you caused the problem. And I know you want a redemption arc. And he's like, I'm listening. And he's like, what if I would? And I'm just like, this is too innocent. Also, I have asthma. Whoa. I have asthma. I can't go up two flights of stairs. I'm sorry. I have asthma. I've had it my whole life. And that's not how it fucking works. It's, um, it's like, <laughs> I mean, apart from it just being bad character writing, even if it was well written, I think the point of that scene is useless. It's really like, why are we at these satellites? Why, why, who are even these people? Like, there's literally no artistry behind it. Did you have those moments where, like, the story would progress? You'd be like, okay, so we're going to go here. Oh, okay, we're here now. We're, yeah. we're in space. The whole, okay. okay. <laughs> so he's literally talking to his son about, like, the son's like, oh, does that mean you're going to die? You're going to be asleep? He's like, no, I'll just be, I'll be gone for like two and a half years, whatever. And he's like, okay. And then it's him waking up however long later without any sort of acknowledgement of like time has passed. And you're like, oh. Yeah. It was very jarring. So you spent three million years having a conversation about a jilted love and how this guy's a bad father. The entire first act of adventure, which is getting to space, doesn't matter in a movie about space okay oh, and also let's like, go he then didn't, he didn't give a shit about his wife while he was there right but then like he writes to her on this Ooh. trip and he's just like dear diary today i ate a sandwich i love you i miss you goodbye and i was like why like just like furthering the objectification of women in the yeah. like and i was just like <laughs> i like, also i just why is he like like, I mean, granted, it's like the rugged hero, like kind of rough around the edges, a little, little sharp, little whatever, but like well, trope. well-meaning, well-meaning, like American who like has killed people in war, but has a good heart. Like, fuck all that. That's such trash. Like, he's shitty. He's a bad guy. It's again, how many times have we talked about movies where it's he's like- He's a bad dude. He's a bad guy and he's our hero, but he's not painted as the this sort of tropic anti-hero. It's not a choice to make him a, a, a visually and intensely bad guy, but there's something about him that we are drawn to. No, he is so 
bad. Like, just surface level, there's nothing else to it. He's just bad. Why do I want to be here? Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to watch this. Who is this fucking asshole? I mean, okay. I I will confess that there are times where I was just like, what the fuck happened? I need to know. Like, okay, cool. Like, and like, and mostly because, again, because of Hal. And I did kind of lose my shit when like Dave started showing up again. I was like, what the fuck is this? Okay. Well, are we going to, are we going to do stuff? And then like, I, I am a sucker for the thing, things, Jessica, the way that you are a sucker for, uh, heist movies, I am a sucker for space and weird time shit. And yeah. it had both of those. And so, Part of me in the moment was like, fuck yeah. And like, I take, I take notes during the whole thing. And then like, uh, I go back and like spend like two hours coming through my notes sometimes. And I was just like, fuck dude. Like, I, I will have a completely different remembrance of that film having read my notes. And I'm like, yeah, dude, this sucked. <laughs> like, yeah. this sucked. Was I on board for it? Because, uh, like in the moment, yes. But, uh, going back and thinking about it critically, wow, absolutely well- not. Totally. And I mean, to that same degree, I want payoff. Like, get, t- you're telling me that there's a story after 2001 that, like, can explain something or or further the narrative. I'm like, sure, give it to me. I'm so I want that. Who does like I want answers? Like, of course, there's mystery. I want to know. I love un- unsolved mysteries. Like, I love world building. I'm here I for love it. world building. Yeah, you you and can to me, fucking get me in to anything if you just like have good world building and the whole thing. Yeah. Like, I'm fucking here for this. And I'm down. Let me live I in mean, your world. Arguably, and I know that this is like wild. I don't know if you've seen it, but that's why Mortal Engines is so good. Um, <laughs> that's a whole it. other thing. Oh my God. It's terrible, but it's actually really good. <laughs> it's it's the movie about the cities on machines. Like I'm the, interested. It's like it's like a huge machine. It's like a big mech. But on top of that mech is a city. And so the big cities eat the little cities, like the small towns. But it's like, so these big chase sequences are happening of like big mechs going after little mechs. But people live on those cities. It's like so wild. I fucking love. Okay. What is this yeah. called? I need to watch it's this. It's called just Mortal like Engines. Spe- I know. it's. You're speaking my love language right now. And I don't even like, wow, we've really reached this uh, level. Can you believe it? Pod- oh, <laughs> And I know Mortal I, this, engines. this has nothing to do really with this only except for the fact that like for the most part that movie is bad and shouldn't work. But for some reason, the way that they sort of exposit like all of these little things, like obviously it's like way too much exposition, but like they get through it quick. It's like, this is that because of this. This is that because of this. This is that because of this. Anyways, here's the story. And you're like, I know everything I need to know. Cool. Let's go. And then the rest of it is like adventure story about this stuff. So it's they they build the world pretty quickly, and from what what you can see visually, it's also like yeah, this world's crazy. But it's I mean, it's not a great movie. Uh, from what I remember, I remember being like, this is silly. But like, it felt like it knew that it was being silly. So I was like, oh okay, I'm here for that. Like yeah, if you if know self aware. Like yeah, then, if you cool. if if you know this is kind of bad, then I'm down. But if you think that this is like some sort of groundbreaking like whatever then like i would like oh you're off and so that that <laughs> to me that's what this movie is it's just like the most unselfworth thing like again i want more answers and i want more story i was so upset with the first scene of this movie like 
I was ready to be brought into this world again and like see a new side of it. I was like, yes, give me, give me, what was it? Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow. Like, give me one of these moments of like this and that, right? Different perspectives. I'm so here for it. And that first scene is such a turnoff. It's the hardest I've ever been like, nope, I'm leaving. <laughs> like, it's, stop, stop it. Stop the projector. I'm out. Like, I don't want to watch this yeah. anymore. I've lost all interest. They think this is so bad. Like it's 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 it was it was trash. I don't know if again if you're listening to this podcast right now and you haven't seen it, I I I strongly suggest like if you like 2001 and remember it fairly well, go watch the first scene of this movie. It's 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 jarringly bad. Like it's my first thought when wow. I saw. My first thought when I saw um, Hayward or the the actor playing Hayward, I was like, oh, he's in the contact place (laughs) because it takes place in that same uh, um, uh, facility. And I was just like, see, oh, like this is the contact place. (laughs) And I would rather check this out. Could you imagine to me what kind of story I wanted was like, what if contact and 2001 were in the same universe? A la Prometheus Alien. Let's do it. Fucking do it. Like with this, this movie, do that shit instead. Acknowledge the discovery one. Acknowledge the missing people. Implement that to some degree. Event Horizon. Later, if Let's you bring want that to. shit in here too. Bring it in, right? Like do that and like have this whole develop this whole new world with different characters with a complete. Like even if as a different director, because it's obviously a different director, bring in a new perspective and a new voice, but of a new story that accompanies the first and doesn't just literally erase its history <laughs> like you it this uh, this movie was a bulldozer you it know was, but oh, what did God. you expect from the guy that did time cop <sighs> yeah <laughs> but i, okay, also expect, I haven't seen time I also cop i've heard it's more a mess. From, from the guy who didn't mo- like well i guess monster squad is silly but like he did monster squad too and i'm like hey be better like what are you Please? doing? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's messy, and I love John Lithgow and Helen Mirren. I think they're both fantastic. They were, I mean, they did the best with what they could do in this movie. Mm-hmm. Overall, completely forgettable performances all around. Because um, they weren't allowed to act. They didn't really have time. They had nothing to work with. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand I, why there needed to be 14 characters when we're just going to focus on the okay. on Hayward and then, like, look at, uh, have him, like, question Mirren, were like, they, every once in a while. Were they introducing characters at the end of the third act? Was this what I, I saw? I feel like it, yes. When the explosion like of, uh... Oh, sorry, Jupiter. When Jupiter implodes and they're flying away, who's the guy that gets blown out of his seat? Have we seen him before? Yeah, who was he? What is who he doing? Who the fuck is that? What, and why is he getting a close-up? Like, when when have we seen this character? Does he have a name? Has he said anything? And if that be the case, what is the choice to have a character fall out of their seat and slam on the back? Because then there's a level of like, oh no, this person could lose their life. They're important. Who the fuck is that? 
I've never seen care. them before in my life. They've never said a word. Why are we introducing a character literally at the end of the film? <laughs> it's such so it's it's okay. We also got everything wrong. We introduce uh like everybody that's um that's attached to Bowman, right? From the fr- yeah, like we like his wife. Why did we need to go to his ex wife? Why does she need also? She like looked like she was having a rough time, right? And then for him to think it's okay to come back because he's like reached enlightenment or whatever, and just kind of like, are you happy? Like basically, it's, and just like, I'm doing great. Thanks. It's such Bye. a poor. It's such a poor attempt at a happy ending for the character when, in fact, like, why'd you do that? Like, you really didn't. Have, that's not the point of that movie. That's not the point of the character. And like he wasn't like, hey, are you okay? Are you like he was like, did you remarry? I was like, oh fuck, we're gonna go there, cool. And then it's like, look at something, something wonderful is gonna happen, right? Look at, I'm gonna do something big that's gonna like be so cool, and um, you should be proud of me, right? <laughs> like, and I was like, okay. He said, he said world peace. <laughs> oh my god it was so boring and then why does he go brush his mother's hair like that's it's, stupid <laughs> it's it's some of the most confusing shit i've ever seen i don't understand i didn't get any of that and i was like all right the only thing i like about this movie is hell <laughs> that's it and she's so like and okay. to that to that extent I did like that Hal came back and it was arguably like more of that story. But even then I'm like, keep him off. Like, I don't, I don't like to me, add, don't, don't change the history. Like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. to me, I love this sad ambiguity of like Hal being killed and, and the distrust. Like I loved that. That's where it ended. And so Mm -hmm. they turn it back on and like, I think that was the most compelling aspect of the movie by far. But on a personal level, I wasn't, I didn't want that. Yeah. I mean, I think I was excited because again, I read Asimov now and I'm like, uh, and I was like, Ooh, look, I know this. Uh, (laughs) When they started talking about like laws of robotics and like, you know, like you, you can tell like, you know, uh, tell them this, but then like the way that it like, creates like logic loops and shit like that like okay you want like a fucking trip read a fucking asimov book and it's like it's it's the most wild and like kind of like it yeah it's um very fucking smart but um but yeah so i was like oh cool i know this right and then it gave me validation for the way i felt about hal in the first one too right because and he kept saying like this is like I am not I don't make mistakes. This is not my problem. This is yeah. your problem. You you fucked up, right? And like, you know, so like I like I could have had a short story about that. Did I need it? No. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know. <laughs> Was it necessary? <laughs> Absolutely like- not. But of everything that they tried to do, it was the most interesting part of it. But then look at it again, too. And it's just like, cool, we're asking this AI to destroy themselves for for everybody else again and not even going to tell them the truth about it, which is what the humans in the first one did. Right. Which, is, which is arguably the opposite of what the movie was trying to say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which, again, and is then, like, oh, so you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> you don't know what this movie's about. <laughs> 
So, like, yeah, like, the way that they treated him and the way that it, like, ended for him, I was incredibly disappointed with that. Well, to be fully fair, that was the obelisk party's fault. Oh, oh, oh. Because the big obelisk party instigated the whole thing. That that rave? The rave. That, like, (laughs) yeah. The Jupiter party. Jupiter ascending. (laughs) They were having a little Jupiter ascension. Um, monolith party shout out just mingling so and ha- drinking and hanging out um, cohesing uh, what the fuck was that okay that's truly it's literally monolith party inside of Jupiter to make it implode yeah so we're making like was their goal their goal wasn't peace i don't think that was no. just a, a product because they wanted to melt their homeboy who had been on that one planet right so they wanted to like melt that so like homeboy can come party too also the one place you just told everybody not to go guess what that's exactly where they're gonna go like yeah it, that's like don't think about the word orange right what are you thinking about you're thinking about orange you're thinking about everything that is orange well, but what what like and i'm just like you're like this how does this change anything about world politics is also doesn't. what i want to know yeah how Just because they said the word be at peace or whatever, like, fuck off. This is so bad. And it is so funny that, like, they're essentially, like, just the way that they said, what is it? (laughs) All these worlds are yours except Europa. (laughs) Attempt no landing there. Use them together. Use them in peace. Use all the worlds except Europa together for peace? You're talking about unity but don't fuck with Europa. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Also insinuating like, that like that the world isn't big enough for different nations to exist on it, right? Yeah. So here, all of the major powers get a planet now. You guys can go do that, and now you can be in peace, which is also like not what this film was trying to say about peace and unity because that's not how that works. Also, if another sun happens, I'm not going to stop being pissed off at somebody. <laughs> like that doesn't matter at all, you know? Nothing it was it was it, it, this is one of the most poorly written movies I've ever seen. It's really bad. It's like such a stinker. It's such it, a big big stinker. Like what an absolute miracle of a film in the meanest way possible like i mean obviously again i'm i'm happy that i didn't know that this movie existed until last week like what a blessing what a true ass (laughs) treat (laughs) that i this movie was not a part of my general cognizance was not a part was not i was not aware of this um for good reason so with that said if you're listening to this podcast right now i'm so sorry to have to bring this this film into your into your scope of truth <laughs> into into things that you consider to be real true and fact this being something that was made i'm i'm apologizing i'm so sorry that i have to bring it to you that we have to bring it to you in this this really really interesting way <laughs> i don't it's so bad we're the f back from the break we're in the outro now we watched 2001 and 2010 eric 2001 who was this film for my i mean my my current answer is like cineheads film heads 
Um, but the answer back then, I don't know who it was for. Men, Ovs, but like, it's for Kubrick. It's, it was for himself. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think everything that Kubrick did was for himself. And that's yeah. why he was like always like destroyed all the set pieces. And he also tried to take out some fucking insurance, like some alien insurance, because he was afraid aliens were going to be discovered before his film came out. And so he was then he was worried about a bunch. So like. The man only cares about himself. This is only for him. Yeah. That's <laughs> like true. especially to make those like those choices of like uh actually I don't like that music, so I'm going to just change this and not tell anybody. It's cool, it's fine, yeah. right? And like yeah. just ditching Clark and the whole thing. So it's like, yeah, dude, it was for him. Like and and that was apparent to like everybody that watched it cuz like they didn't know what to expect and stuff like at the time. But yeah, now mm-hmm. for sure it is absolutely for cinephiles and people that like to talk about the cinema. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big uh big pushes up glasses energy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, um actually it's for the well actually community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? I loved it. I think it's incredible. I think it's such an astonishing piece of filmmaking. I think it's an astonishing piece of storytelling, especially for its time. Like putting it in that context, it's it's like truly remarkable for as shitty as like generally he was and for all of that stuff. As a piece of cinematic history, I think it is show stopping. I think it's incredible. What do you think? A hundred percent. Everything that yeah. you just said. I love this film. I was more than happy to watch this again. I just watched this um, last semester and watching it again is just like, it's such a treat like sonically and visually and narratively. And I love watching film that has so much intent behind everything, but isn't necessarily like an art house film or doesn't go to David Lynchian with some stuff. Oh, yeah. Because I also... I like that kind of stuff, but like I think, I think it was just the right blend of everything for me. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. What about 2010, Eric? Was it yes. new, interesting, or the same, progressive or regressive? How has it evolved with today's ideals? Uh, I think it was whatever version of answer is bad in all of those categories is my answer. I think it like, I think it was regressive in its storytelling. I think it was regressive in its visuals. Um, I think it was regressive in its ideals. I mean, 2001 had so much to say and so much to posit about the concept of life, which is like, what a fucking big theme to try to tackle, like the concept of that. And it it just, this movie couldn't say anything. This movie spent so much time trying to say so many things that it ended up not saying anything. And so, yeah, it just, it was the most regressive version of any sort of piece of this story yeah i feel the exact same way it was especially for like how do you make a sequel to something that is a true cinematic classic that is a true like groundbreaking like shattering film right this piece of art how do you make the mona lisa 2 you know, how do or, you make... What is it? What is it? Hamlet 2? Did you ever see <laughs> Hamlet 2? <Hamlet> <laughs> oh, my no, God. I, is there? There's a movie called Wait. Hamlet 2. 
Oh my god! Can but we the do joke, that one but day? it's but it's like it knows what it's trying to be. It's a joke about this playwright who's like so self righteous and bad. He's trying to prove himself, and that he writes a sequel to Hamlet, and everyone's like, "Why?" <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" Amy Poehler's in it. It's it's uh it's that sounds delightful. It's not. I th- I wanted it to be way better than it was. Uh, oh, it's not. Nice. I don't think it's great, but there's levels of it that are kind of funny, and the just I love the concept. Fun. The concept's yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, this movie was just, um, was everything that the first film was against in so many ways, right? And e- yeah. it was even against itself, uh, narratively and visually. And like, it was, I just don't understand like what went wrong and what happened and how bad this was. And um, it's just so disappointing I feel like this movie should not exist. No. <laughs> this movie, it's... this film should be like, cool. If you want to continue it on books, like that's fine, you know, but like if you're going to have like a sequel to something that was so profound and such a, a work of art and then to like just apply shitty 80s movie tropes and ideas and practices onto it, like how dare yeah. you? Like to literally just at every turn, just kind of throw away what made 2001 special and what made it everything that it was, you know, Um, this should this was like a fan made film. Like not not to say that some of like because some of those fan made films are fucking great, too. So that's not even fair. Yeah, Um, this is this is just a failure. It's it's bad spec script. It's like a bad fanfic story like not even like this shouldn't obviously shouldn't be made into a movie but the story is just like oh this is like this is a bad version of a like a fan trying to write a sequel somebody who's yeah. never written before trying to write a sequel fucking yeah. dolphins in your living room Ooh. which i mean do we love it or do we love it because <laughs> <laughs> and do we love the I, justification because mom is a marine <laughs> biologist who studies dolphins um of course like, cool, let's get some of that, Mom. 2010, 2010, the Dolphins are taking over. Eric, tell me who this movie was for. Uh, it shouldn't be for anybody, but who it was for. Americans. There we go. That's the answer. It's for Americans. It's American it's- propaganda. It's for Americans to feel American in America. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's for, like... The wannabe space cowboys. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. (laughs) Sorry, Helen Mirren. Sorry, Helen Mirren. Oh, my God, I know. (laughs) You deserve so much better. You too, John Lithgow. Yeah, justice for John Lithgow and Helen Mirren. Although I think they're both doing pretty okay. (laughs) So. (laughs) Oh, for sure. 100%. But (laughs) did you like it? No, I think it's such an atrocious piece of cinema. I, if we weren't doing it for the podcast, like truly, I would have turned it off after the first scene. Like I just, yeah. I, I, I did pause and I had to go do something else and then come back because I was just like, this is hard to watch. Like this is, this is about to be an impossible task to sit through this film. <laughs> like judging it <laughs> off simply that first scene, this is going to be a near impossible task for me. <laughs> I can't do this. I mean, I think uh, I know the answer, but did you like it? No, no, yeah, okay. no, no. I don't like this movie. Big thumbs, double down. thumbs down. <laughs> um, 
Thank you for listening. We watched this so you don't have to. Also, if you skipped past like the 2010 thing, that's okay. I totally get it. Um, yeah. I wonder if our retelling of it is going to be as exciting as that film was. Probably, it's probably more exciting. I, I. Oh, for sure. I'm, I'm for sure. Um. Anyways, thank you for listening. We love you so much. Please rate and review us at iTunes and podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all of the places it helps us with <laughs> visibility and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I. I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I I loved before the before the Apple podcast saver was like rate us at podcasts. <laughs> like yes, rate please. Rate us at podcasts. R- rate us at podcast.podcast. Thank you so much. Ooh, that would be a good website. Could you believe? <laughs> I'd love it. Uh you can write into us at nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Our artwork and music is by Eric Lefevre. Uh special Ooh. thanks to Danny Barkley for editing and being great and thank you eric thank you jess yeah what a treat it's so good i mean bad good and bad this was a good good. and bad episode this was a good and bad yes it was good and bad yeah all right and remember stay cute and stay critical bye-bye 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 bye-bye